Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord. Are you with me? Like, we don't know if we're with you. Where are you going with this? We're nervous. That's what we are. Allow me to preach scripture, guys. Can I, can I, can I read the Bible? Is this a safe space? Depends. Where are you taking this? We're in our third installment of the Ephesians series, which is pictures of the church. According to the book of Ephesians, today we're looking at the bride. Ephesians chapter 5, that's where I'm reading from if you want to follow with me in your Bibles. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You're like, yeah, you read that part. Read another one. (laughs) For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Didn't expect too many amens. I'm not offended. But brothers, I've got you. How are you guys feeling? Preach it, preach it. (laughs) Yeah, this is going well. It's going well. Got you. Sort of, kind of. Husbands. Ladies are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Husbands, love your wives. (laughs) Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You hear you thinking, man, I shouldn't have come alone to church today. There's a guy there at home who needs to hear this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife, just in case you thought we forgot about you, see that she respects her husband. 
<laughs> there was like one solitary amen. <laughs> we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Let's see, let's see where we get by the end of this, this sermon. Can I get... Um, I need two volunteers to come, up, to come on up here. <laughs> any, any two people, just come, come, come join me up here very quickly. <laughs> awesome. Give a hand to Tammy and Helena. Here's my task to the two of you. Without talking to one another, <laughs> I want you to model... Give us a picture of submission. <laughs> well done, guys. Give them a hand. Thank you very much. <laughs> well done. The scripture can be a hard saying can be difficult to process because of what we've been taught about submission. I'm hoping to give you a kingdom version of submission today. Uh, what, what we've been taught about submission has been very oppressive. The reason that it's difficult for us to engage with scriptures like this, when I opened with that, with, with that line, wives, submit to your husbands, already there's a little bit of a tension now, that may be because you guys were having some interesting uh, fellowship on the way to church. That's okay. You're in a good place. You wouldn't be the first couple to have intense fellowship on your way to church. <laughs> but it, it's difficult because this scripture has been used to oppress, to abuse, and to manipulate. And so we have a negative uh, response to it because of a negative teaching that we have received. So what I want to do is ask us to take a few steps back and to understand a little bit about first principles. So we understand what the scripture is on about, but let's just take one or two steps back. Let's go, in fact, all the way back to the book of Genesis and let's study how God initially instituted marriage and what his intention was in the garden, what his intention was before the fall. Shall we do that? So we go back, when we go back in the book of Genesis, we find God busy with the work of creation. And so he creates this world. And, and, and we know that his spirit hovers over this, this world, which is dark and it's formless. But he gives it life and he gives it form and he shapes it. And then, and then we know that God speaks and he pronounces, let there be light. And there is light. And we know that he begins to put things in place. And so he separates the waters, the, the, the waters above and the, and the waters below. And the skies he calls the firm, firmaments. And he puts in them all the stars of heaven. And he separates the lesser lights and the greater lights. And he calls that night and day. And in the earth, we know that he fills the oceans with, with, with the fish of the sea. And he populates those. And on the earth, he, he populates the earth with all manner of trees and herbs and animals and all creeping and flying things. And then the scriptures tell us, it, when we go into chapter 2, that the God then planted a garden east of Eden. 
And in this garden, God makes a man. I want you to notice, saints, that in every instance of creation, the sovereign God pronounces and declares, let there be light. Boom. And there was light. And he looks at it. And he loves it. And he goes, let there be lesser light and, 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 and greater light. And let there be fish in the sea. And let there be animals and breathing things and flying things. And, and he's declaring all of these things until it comes to the making of man. Then God stops declaring, rolls up his sleeves and gets personal. Stoops down and makes clay of the ground and forms the shape of man, and then he breathes life into this man, and this man comes alive. So now this man, Adam, is alive, and he's filled with the breath of God, and God's hands are filled with the dirt of making man. Where am I going with this? Creation, creating you, was a messy business. God was willing to get his hands dirty to make you don't fall into the trap of believing that God is beyond your dirt. Jesus hung on the cross, bloodied, beaten, dirty. It was messy to make you saints. It was messy to save you. God is not beyond your mess. He's not threatened by your mess. He's not put off by your mess. He got dirty to make you. He got dirty to save you. He will not shy away from your dirt. Don't think that you, because you're in a mess, because you're dirty, that's a reason to pull away from him. And so he makes this man. And this man begins to live. And, and he says to this man, he speaks to this man, he says, Now I give you a mandate. Tend this garden, name the animals, fill, take dominion, subdue, multiply. And he releases this man to his work. Now Adam is a capable man. He, he's capable of cultivating the garden. He's capable of watering. He's capable of pruning. He's capable of harvesting and cleaning, removing of weeds. He's capable of naming the animals giving identity. He's capable of taking dominion over them. But it was found as Adam was observed in his work that he had an insufficiency. He didn't have it in himself to fulfill the mandate that God had given him. God's mandate to Adam was to fill, to subdue, and to multiply. And so God, in recognition of this, declares in his sovereignty in the second chapter of Genesis, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper comparable to him. I will make him a helper, and this helper will be comparable to him, comparable, familiar, similar, near to, equal, just as good as you, Adam. Nothing inferior. Nothing weaker, nothing less than. It's comparable. This is what God made. And then he puts this woman in the garden. And guess what? This woman is equipped. 
that if she brings what she has and Adam brings what he has, they can fulfill the mandate. So the biblical kingdom picture of submission was not a weak, oppressive picture. It was progressive. It was a partnership. Do you see that? Eve's submission was not a cowering. Eve's submission was a stepping into the role that God had given her to play. Adam had seed, but he could not incubate that seed. Eve could incubate that seed and produce life. Together, they could populate and and fill and multiply. Often today, I was interested in the picture that we had over here. Our picture of submission is, okay, well, who's going to be less than? We come together, somebody needs to submit. What does that mean? Somebody's going to need to be less than. Love that time you went down too. You saved it, bro. (laughs) I have hope for your household. (laughs) The picture that we live with on on a daily basis today is that submission is a weaker role. Let's take Jesus, okay? Jesus, who is God, just as much God as God the Father. However, we recognize that Jesus chooses to fulfill a particular function. These are the words of Jesus. I do nothing except that which my Father shows me. What about the Holy Spirit? He's God. Did you know that? Holy Spirit is God. I think we did a series about it not long ago. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is here with us on earth? You know that he's not, con- he's not concerned with convincing us that he is God? But the scriptures reveal that his purpose is to reveal Jesus. So, so the Holy Spirit, he's working in our lives and he's allowing the scales to fall off so that we can see Jesus. And so he, he's reminding us of the scriptures. Remember when Jesus said this? He, you know what Jesus would think of this? Man, Jesus would be proud of you right now. Jesus forgives you. Come into the loving arms of Jesus. You know what Jesus is busy doing? He's revealing the Father. Hey, guys, you know what? You need the Father. The Father is awesome. Come to me because when you receive me, you receive the Father. Nobody's busy being insecure about their role. They're busy fulfilling their function because there is a work that needs to be done. The redemption and salvation of the world. There's no time to be thinking about, well, who's higher, who's lower, who's... Hey, man, we're about the business of the kingdom. In our roles, whether it's in our marital relationship, hey, there are roles to be, fu- to be fulfilled. Now I know we enter into these spaces with insecurities, but what I'm placing before you is get over it. Do what you need to do. Seek counseling. Pray. Fast. Talk to people, get into connect groups, seek accountability, heal, because there is a work that needs to be done. And we can't be held back because we're refusing to fulfill our role because of insecurity. As the bride of Christ, that is who we are. We have a role to play in this kingdom mandate. And so Adam, back to Adam, Adam. He wakes up. God had 
put him to sleep, operation, there's a woman. Adam wakes up, never seen a woman in his life. He wakes up, woo <laughs> So like, what now? <laughs> like, mm, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken of man. Adam begins to gush. He begins to shower her with affirmation and celebration. Note, Eve is fresh out the box. Just been made, just been created. She has no credentials. She has no CV. She has achieved nothing with which to please him. His only credential for pleasing Adam was that she was made by God to resemble him. That was where his pleasure lie. This woman resembles me. Woo! That's how Jesus looks at you. Jesus is not pleased with you because of what you've done. He's not pleased with you because of your perceived holiness, what you think commends you before him. He looks at you, and when you resemble him, he's going, ooh, child. Adam took delight in his bride. Jesus, who is the sec, who is the last Adam, sorry, takes delight in his bride. It's interesting that scripture calls Jesus the last Adam because the first Adam failed. Right? Sure, he loved his bride. I mean, he was taken, it was amazing right at the beginning. Yo, and then it, it, you know, things go south. Jesus comes in and he's like, yo, let me take it from the your stage and show you where it should have gone. So let me show you how to love her and lead her. Adam needs Eve in order to fulfill the mandate. The last Adam chooses Eve. Does not need Eve. Is self-sustained, self-contained self-sufficient, ready, and has everything in and of himself that is required to fulfill whatever he can dream up. But he chooses you, his Eve. He chooses you. And yet we still sit with this tension of submission and love. Submission and love. Submit Love, submit, love. These words are, 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 not, are, not, are not reactive words. The, the submit and love, they, they, they are progressive words. They are verbs. They are doing words. Love that description of love, action that produces results. Tell me you love me, then show me something. Oh, baby, I'll go to the ends of the earth for you. I will, go to the, I will go to the moon and back. What does that mean? What does that mean? What's at the moon? What are you bringing from the moon? If the earth is running out of oxygen and, and there's lots of oxygen, new oxygen discovered on the moon and you're going to fly there and bring me back, so I'm sure, you know? I'm, you know, there's something there. Especially if it's like the last canister and, and you have like limited fuel, so you're going to burn as you re-enter into the atmosphere, but you're going to parachute the, the oxygen down and I get to live. Yeah. 
<laughs> was that dark? <laughs> Scripture says, gentlemen, we're my brothers. Scripture says, give yourself for your bride. Now, I was reading the scripture, pouring out, you know, hours upon hours. I'm looking at it. I'm meditating. I'm asking God for revelation. And then in one day, pop, it opened up. The scales fell off my eyes. The scripture came alive, and I suddenly saw it. All was re- revealed before me, the fundamental reasons why relationships are messed up. It's R&B music. <laughs> R&B is to blame, guys. I'm just singing about I'll give my all to you and fly around the world. I'm going to roll around in the dust, give myself to you. Hey, man, the mandate was never to give yourself to your spouse. It was to give yourself for her. For her, not to her. You know who we give ourselves to? Jesus. Jesus, that's whom we worship. To give myself to, to Jesus means to give myself and worship to him. I, I, I pour my life before him. I surrender before him. He, he controls me. Ladies, don't let a man give himself to you. You don't want what he's got. Let him give himself to Jesus. Jesus, clean him up a bit. And then let him come back and give himself for you. For you is preference. He prefers you before himself. Brothers. Where's my brothers? We're called to present the bride spotless and without blemish to the father. Ladies, many of you are walking around Bible bruised. You have been beaten and battered with the word. The word said for us to cleanse the spouse, we went about beating her. Yay, Proverbs 31 woman, bah! The word says, I'm the head of the house, bah! Submit us unto Jesus. <laughs> it's proper smackdown with the word. But we're busy beating her and beating her and pummeling her with the word, never washing her with the word. Beating and washing are two very different things that have two very different outcomes. When you're beaten with the word, you have a very negative response to an opening line like wives submit to your own husbands. Why? Because you've been beaten with that scripture before. You've been pummeled with it. You've been manipulated with it. You've been oppressed with it. You're trying to get away from it the whole time, but each time when you turn around, pa. But scripture calls us to wash her with the word. What does it mean to wash her with the word? Celebrate her with the word. Use the word to call out identity and, de- and declarations. Speak it over her. And of course, to love, love her as you love yourself. 
If you love to eat, then love her just as much as you love to eat. If you love to drink water and nourish yourself and to take care of yourself and to, and to exercise or to dress well and all of these things should be a measure of your love for her. Do you dress yourself up more than you adorn her? Do, do you nourish yourself more than you nourish her with the word? What I'm doing is I'm just getting you to join me in the conviction and the thorns that I've been sitting in for the past two weeks. So this is not me being better than you. So Paul writes this, this description of marriage. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Da, 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 da. And then he gets to, to, towards the end of the chapter and he goes, oh, by the way, I speak a mystery. This is not actually about marriage. This is about Jesus and his bride. Oh, you thought I was talking to you and your spouse. You've been busy like bruising his rib there going, ah, yeah, it's like I told you the other day. Yeah, I remember that link I sent you. Yeah. <laughs> not about you. It's about Jesus and his bride. That's the picture. Let me tell you some things about Jesus and his bride and about how Jesus loves his bride. The love of Jesus to his bride is special and exclusive. Oh, he loves the world. He's merciful to the world. He's generous to the world, benevolent even. But let me tell you something right now for free. His love for you is exclusive, unlike anything the world has ever experienced. I appreciate you guys. I care for you. I love you. But I want to tell you now, the love that I have for my wife is very different from the love that you've ever experienced from me. What this tells us is that we have a special place in the heart of Jesus. That if we are his bride and his love towards us is exclusive, that we have a direct line to his heart. No one is better positioned to move the heart of Jesus than you and I. In fact, we could take it even further and say it has nothing to do with moving the heart of Jesus and everything to do with revealing the heart of Jesus. Revealing what's already there. And so when I intercede and I pray that Jesus would draw somebody into the kingdom, that they would experience the love and intimacy with Jesus that I experience, and Jesus moves, and that person is saved, I have just revealed the heart of Jesus. It was always there. His love for that person was always there. But because he has chosen to partner with me, it took my prayer, which revealed the heart of Jesus. We have, we have direct line. We have the access codes. His love is unselfish. You know, when I, first, when I first met my wife, first day I saw her, oh, what a glorious day. <laughs> Glory. There, there she was. And, and this light from heaven just came down, bump. And was, was enveloping her. And, 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 and I just saw her out of a crowd of people. And, and there was just this force 
that was pulling me towards her. And I didn't know what's what, but I knew I have to get close to this person. And I have no idea what I'm going to say when I get to her. But I know with my entire existence that I have to be able to, I need to, st- to talk to this person. I can't walk away without having engaged with this person. When Jesus first beheld us, we were ugly. <laughs> ugly. Nasty. We had nothing to offer. Jesus didn't look at us and go, mm, I got to get me some of that. Jesus looked at us and went, these guys are so ugly. But if I could just love them, my love, if I could, if I could just make them the object of my intense attraction and love and observation, concentration, whatever word you want to use, I can beautify them. I can transform them. And so Jesus made you his pursuit and he went after you and he noticed you and picked you out of a crowd and intensified his love towards you and his love cleansed you. His love transformed you. His love caused you to drop the sin that had so easily entangled you. His love caused you to become beautiful and you were transformed and as you became more and more like him, Jesus stood back and went, "Mm." yes, yes. And he took delight in that because his love asked you for nothing because you had nothing and he had everything. And his love brought you into everything. His love delights in the bride. He delights in the bride. So when Jesus died on the cross, bled, died, that was a, a happy day for us. Painful to think of, sure, painful to look at, but it was a happy day for us. Because why? Because our sins were forgiven. We were washed clean. The wrath of God was satiated. But he was still dead. Praise God, three days later, he rises again. So now, not only are our sins forgiven, but death is defeated. The work for which Jesus had come to earth for was complete. It was done. It was finished. And he rose up and and he rose again, presented himself to the believers. And you know what was waiting for Jesus? The triumphant entry back into heaven. The scores of angels worshiping and celebrating. The father waiting with his arms open. The the deity and the godness that he had put behind waiting for him to put on that, put on put back his, his godness and the glory to enter back into the intimacy and the oneness that he had, he had had with the Father from the very beginning. And yet, he chose to spend another 40 days with his disciples. Not finish off and go, Woo, it's been real. I got something better waiting for, waiting for me. Why? Why did he do that? can only be one reason. He delights in spending time with his bride. I've looked at the instructions that Jesus gave gave his his group. I've looked at them. Jesus, you could have given these guys these instructions in a solid day. A good day. A good few conversations you've got this covered. The morning we have a chat, we rest, we reflect. I repeat what I said in the evening. Tonight I'm gone. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to be generous. I'll give you a week. You can do everything you need to do in a week. 
every instruction that you needed to give them, you could have done it in a week. 40 days? That's just extravagant. But hey, when you're in love with somebody, the time that you spend with them is not functional. it's, it's It's not calculated and budgeted time. It's wasteful time. I'm spending time with this person purely out of the joy I get from being around them. Just because I love to be in close proximity with this person, that's the only reason why I'm here. Jesus delights to be with his bride. The love of Jesus makes him mine. Jesus came for me, left all that he was and all that he had to propose to me and then to pay the Mahadi Olobola for me with his blood and to call me his bride. And if that is the case, then whatever Jesus is, whatever Jesus has, is mine. I spent a long time, many years, declaring that I am his. He spent many, looked through the entirety of the Old Testament, the majority of the New Testament. Jesus is crying out, howling out to anybody who would listen that you are mine. Oh, that we would change. Oh, that we would turn around and hear his plea, and to respond, I hear you, Jesus, but you are mine. You are mine. Jesus, I'm not just concerned with your perspective, how you see things. Jesus, the very eyes that you see with are mine. I'm not concerned with your words, the things that you say. I'm claiming your very tongue. It's mine. Not just what, what, the, the things that your heart beats for and that you care about, Jesus, though your very heart is mine. It belongs to me, all that you are. All that you have belongs to me. It's mine. I can't even begin to imagine all that Jesus is. He hasn't revealed to us all that he is. What he has revealed to us is mind-blowing. And we can imagine upon imagination what Jesus is and still not touch the beginnings of it. But whatever that is, whoever he is, whatever he is, whatever he has, it's mine because Jesus is mine. That is a declaration of intimacy. Whether you're a man or a woman, I want you to get comfortable with the declaration that says, Jesus, you're mine. And if I have to get comfortable with the idea of being a bride to get that, then hey, (laughs) sign me up. Sign me up. It's a weird idea. Could you have picked something else? But sign me up. Jesus would say to Peter, Peter said to Jesus, when when Jesus was washing the the, the feet of the disciples, no, 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 no. Can't have you washing my feet. And Jesus would say to him, look, if I, can't, if I don't wash your feet, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Later on, 
after Jesus had risen and, uh, and he called Peter after the betrayal to Jesus, uh, Peter had denied Jesus. They had a conversation. And uh, Jesus was asking Peter some questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, you know, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. Peter, look after my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my, tend my sheep. And then they took a little bit of a walk. He says, Peter, you are no longer Simon, a reed. You are Peter. You are a rock. You're no longer a weed, a reed that, that gets influenced by external measures, external forces. You are a rock and you're sturdy. And upon this revelation, I will build my church. Man, that's a promotion. You know, you, know, you know how Peter responded? Hey, that's great, Lord. And then he looks around and he sees John walking behind him. He says, yeah, that's powerful. What about this guy? Hey? Because his concern was still that, as powerful as that sounds, I'm just concerned you're going to give this guy something a bit more powerful. So just tell me, you know, what do you, I, I get this, this is great, this sounds great, but I'll know as soon as I know what you have in store for him. Jesus says, don't worry about him. You do what I have given you to do.